Well, praise the Lord and welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis here on a beautiful rainy Friday morning in the Piney Woods of Northeast Texas in the studio at Crossway Church here in Queen City, Texas. Glad to be with you this morning gathered around God's Word. I hope that you would get your Bibles and follow along with us this morning. We'll begin our endeavor to move into chapter 3 of 1 Peter. And uh, I know it's going to be a wonderful lesson today, a great session in the Word of God as the Lord uh, reveals some things or maybe grounds the things we've already heard and known more into our hearts. Possibly today there will be uh, some things in these particular scriptures that we've not heard. And I promise you, even if you have heard them, the Lord will be able to write them in your hearts and on your minds today because he's able to do that when we're hearing through the context of the only avenue he can apply the words to our hearts, which is the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. But this particular lesson today is going to be good. We'll see some things that uh, a lot of people have, have, have seen one way and took these words and used them uh, wrongly. And, uh, uh, but then on the other hand, if they're seen in the right manner and, and the object of faith remains right, then the Holy Spirit can bring great liberty and freedom in what we're about to read. Before we dig in, just uh, remember Andrew will be here this weekend. He'll be preaching Sunday morning and Saturday night. Andrew and I will be doing a Scarlet Thread podcast from here, and uh, the, the topic is going to be the ministry and the word of reconciliation. It's going to be very, very informative, and I believe the Lord is going to use that teaching session to help us see more clear what we're already seeing, which is the word of God in the light of the Son of God and what he did for all of humanity as the Lamb of God. So here we are this morning, 1 Peter chapter 3, part 1, on this 10th day of February, 2023. If we look here and we see the first word in 1 Peter chapter 3, likewise, ye wives. Now, when you see a chapter change, uh, you have to remember that uh, the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. It may and probably had what we call today paragraphs to some degree, but it was not chapter and verse. It was simply a letter. So I love the beauty of this, and when you're a student of God's Word and you're hungry and thirsty after His righteousness and you understand that that righteousness only comes through your faith in Calvary's cross as the Holy Spirit of truth is able to guide you into more truth, which is the only avenue of revealed righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So all of God's words are in righteousness. I hope you'll write these things down. And I know the new people that come on board, this will bless your heart tremendously. It will bless your soul to know that all of God's words are in righteousness. And that's Proverbs 8 and 8. But his righteousness is revealed in the gospel, Romans 1, 16 and 17. God's revealed righteousness, hear me now, oh, this is so dear, so dear. God's revealed righteousness to those who keep their faith in the gospel are the only ones who get to go from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith, going from faith to faith, but only to the degree that the righteousness of God is being revealed to them in the gospel. You see, all of God's words are in righteousness, but they must be seen through the gospel, not because we were just saved by the gospel. Too much written in the New Testament that shows just because we were saved doesn't mean we're automatically walking in righteousness. But every word of God, every word of God must be seen through the gospel. 
That means, that means there's never a time when the Word of God should be handled outside of its righteous context. If it is, God is there and He is resisting everything that men think they're producing, everything men think they're doing. That, if you're taking notes, I hope you are, Romans 1.18. So, when you see the first word... Likewise, well, you have to go back, and this is very needful that we do this, just to uh, give an overview of the, the last six verses in chapter 2. It's where we're being told that we have an example to follow. And that example is Christ in his sufferings. We're called to suffer. We're not called to induce our own suffering. We're not called to go out and look for suffering. In these last six verses, it tells us what brings the suffering. It's when we follow in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ who trusted, committed himself to the one who judges righteously. Instead of reviling back, instead of doing what we feel like doing, instead of doing what we feel like we have to do, we simply trust the one who judges righteously. Now, again, that's the word of God. All God's words are in righteousness. And if you live according to the righteousness of God's words, not just opening the Bible and, and reading something and thinking, you're going to go do that. No, the righteousness of God's word is only revealed in the gospel. So it's always around the gospel. That means the message of the cross. That means the focus of Calvary, the Christ of Calvary. That, that means you've got to understand Jesus died for you and you died with him. And the more you learn that second part, uh, that you died with him, the more that you'll be able to experience what the end of chapter 2 is talking about. Look at verse 24 in chapter 2. You have to go back and scratch your feet wherever you were and get your feet stirring again in where you were so that you can likewise also get that. See how easy and simple that is. Watch verse 24 of chapter 2 here in 1 Peter talking about Jesus who in who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. That means we were healed. We were cured from not being able to live under righteousness. Before we were born again, all we could do was live unto the sin nature that's under death. We were trapped. We couldn't get out. Jesus shed his precious blood. Now our faith in him allows us to walk in the path. Let me say this. That is step by step. Walking is not one step and then 10 years later or never take it. A walk is a walk. Step by step. Amen. Amen. Get that now. So you can't, you can't hear the message of the cross for a little bit and then move on. It's the only thing that provides wisdom and power for your walk. So get this now. Living under righteousness. That'll bring suffering in your life. You go back and read that second chapter. The Holy Spirit is teaching us that it's commendable before God to suffer for righteousness, but not when you're suffering for, 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 for wrongdoing. So get that now. So this is where we are. We're told to live under righteousness, and we can because we're healed now. We're cured from the sin nature that eliminated us from being able to. Now we have the spirit of truth, the comforter, the spirit of grace. Hallelujah. We have the spirit of God living in us who can constantly deliver us unto the death of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13, so that we can experience the constant life of Christ even in these old bodies. Remember, we live by the 
faith of the Son of God in this old fleshly thing. We live in this fleshly thing by the faith of the Son of God that loved us and gave himself for us. So we had to go back and scratch our feet a little bit because if we're going to live under righteousness, we're going to have to maintain. We're going to have to fight to keep our faith in the sacrifice of Christ. And God wants us to understand that every word in his, <clears throat> what we call the Bible, we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. <clears throat> but all his words are in righteousness. They're encompassed in righteousness. None of them are outside of righteousness. And, and so the righteousness of God, again, we have to be righteously dividing the word of God. We have to be sound in our doctrine that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Therefore, every word must be understood, seen, grasped a hold of through the gospel. This is why we can claim we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness yet not being filled. This is why we can declare that we're seeking God's righteousness but we don't find him adding all things to our lives like we know we should be in experience of. Listen, it's because we don't understand that to live under to live to walk under righteousness means that our faith has to be in what it was in when we took our first step in the path of righteousness. Hallelujah. And that's the death of Jesus. You move away from it. You stop hearing about it. I promise you. Let me say this today. When you stop hearing the word of God in the context of Calvary, you will see your fire go out and you will no longer be tasting, experiencing of those living waters that Jesus promised you could have flowing from your innermost being. The farther you move away from the sacrifice, the dimmer the light gets and the less you partake of the living waters. It takes faith in the sacrifice. And let me say this before we move on. This faith that we have... It requires a deliberate and a conscious experience right here. I must be aware of my surrender to the death of Christ because as I received him, that way must I walk in him, Colossians 2, 6. And I received him only by a conscious awareness, a deliberate choice to surrender to the truth of what Jesus did for me in his death. And all the words of God will point us there. How do I know? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 12 and 17, He that speaks truth shows forth righteousness. That righteousness, it's only revealed in the gospel. It is the truth of the gospel that reveals righteousness hallelujah so are you really hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness if you are there's only one partaking place and it's where you took your first bite by faith in the flesh and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ watch now so we move on now into chapter 3 and this is this is where we see the word likewise so you wives, now you got to remember, you can't, you can't just open your Bible and read chapter 3 without going back and reading this letter. Because if you don't, look, the, the, right before this letter, where we're told about what Jesus did and what we're called to now to experience because we've been cured, we, we've been delivered by his stripes, we've been healed from the sickness of the sin nature. Come on now. And we can now live under righteousness. And now, because you know how, let me say that one more time. Because you now know how, you must keep your faith there. But then, like that, get that, like that, like as now, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands. That is 
if any obey not the word, and it doesn't say here they're lost. I'm not saying these husbands are not lost. I'm just saying I'm not reading that here. If any obey not the word, and I'm not, listen, I had years of adding and removing things through my own imagination to the word or taking things from the word, uh, you know, trying to so-called read between the lines. And unless there's uh, something more involved in what I'm seeing here, it doesn't say these men are lost, but we might think that if we go on and read, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So now the, 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 wor- the words be one there is I think where we might get our thought that these husbands of these wives may be lost and we think one but, uh, to Christ. And, and listen, I'm not knocking that. that. That could very well be the case. Okay, so don't run out of here saying Pastor Curtis said oh, that ain't talking. I'm, I'm telling you what I see, what I'm reading, and what I'm reading doesn't give an emphatic these men are lost, but it does mean that they are emphatically being disobedient to the word. Whether they've never obeyed the word, never been born again, or they have, and now they're being disobedient to the word, I don't know, but the phrase that they may be one, and let's look it up together this morning. I hope you've got your study materials there. If you don't and you need to know how to do these things, send me an email, curtishutchinsonatt.net. I'll respond. I'll show you uh, where you can get the greater de- the, 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 the different definitions that will help you. won't change the word, but it'll help you see more into it. And that word, uh, to win, means to gain. To gain. And again, that could very well mean to gain them into the salvation of God or to gain them back to obedience to the word of God. But the point, the, that's really not even the focus here. I guess it, it's a part of the focus. Uh, we have to say it is trying to get their husbands who either are lost and undone and they don't know Christ or they do and they're just living in a disobedient manner to the word of God whichever the case more likely more likely it's speaking of being lost that they don't know the Lord so let's put that aside for now and look at the, the main issue here is the instructions for the wives from the Lord to function in a way, and that's what he's talking about here, to conduct their lives in a way that their husbands would be able to see them and the Lord doing something to them, in them, through them, and the, and the Lord showing that husband something about that wife that could possibly give them a hunger for the things of God. And that's what we're looking at here. So let's look at this. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband. Even if they're lost, honey, you got to be subordinate to him. You're not over him. You're not even over him spiritually. In the spirit you may be, but don't lord all that stuff over. I've watched, listen, I've watched men leave women who just pounded and pounded and pounded uh, uh, the word into them when they weren't ready to hear it. They didn't want to hear it, and eventually they got sick of it, and they they moved themselves out and got away from them and all of that. So, and, and, and that's, that's, that's the wrong thing to do for wives. Let's read and see what the right thing is to do for wives who have a lost husband or a husband who's saved but living disobedient to the word of God. The instruction is here. But you have to remember, this won't work just if you're seeing this and you're trying this in your own strength. It won't work. What will work is if you look back to the end of chapter 2 and see how this works. That your faith has to be literally, consciously, and deliberately in the one 
who didn't try to do things in his own strength, who didn't put his own thoughts on the table, who didn't revile back when things weren't going the way they really should be according to men's thoughts. He, he didn't threaten back when he was being threatened. No, he trusted the one who judges righteously. That's our Jesus. What he, he trusted his heavenly Father's judgment of righteousness. And Jesus tells us his own self in John 7, 24, that we are to judge righteous judgment. We can't judge righteous judgment if first and foremost we're not trusting in the one who judges righteous judgment. And the only way we can do that is if we put our faith, listen again to me very carefully, deliberately and consciously. I'm aware of where I'm surrendering. I'm aware of why I'm denying myself again to take up this cross to be able to see self-denied and the will of God brought forth. Women, wives, are you hearing me today? You're to be in subjection to your husbands, even if they're disobedient. Don't bring all the, well, what about it? No. There, there are many other things to talk about when you talk about husbands abusing wives. And, and do, I mean, that's, that's another time, another lesson. This is, not, this is not talking about that situation. This is talking about husbands who just aren't obeying the word. Maybe they're lost. Maybe they're just uh, uh, saved, but they're not living for God. Whichever one that is, the answer is the same for the wife. It is to be subject to. That means obedient, that's what it means, look it up, to their, their husband. Not some other husband, not some other man, their own husband. They're to live subject to that husband. That means they're under his authority. This is not some mean and demeaning thing. This simply is God's structure of order. Do you want to be in order? Do you want to be in God's prescribed order? Then you have to be, if you're a wife, you have to be subject, subordinate, obedient to your husband. And if they're not obedient to the word, you want them to become obedient to the word because doesn't that make the marriage so much better when both are subject to to the word of God. Hallelujah. And watch this, that also, they also may, the husbands, without the word, be won by the conversation, and that means the conduct, the behavior, the attitude, the way the wife presents herself. Listen, first and foremost to God. By trusting in his righteous judgment, on Christ at Calvary's cross. And your, involve, your involvement in that. Christ died for you. If you're a believer, you've been pardoned. But now you must learn to walk in these righteous footsteps. Christ left you to walk in. Psalms 85, 13. Righteousness went before him and has set us in his steps. I hope you're writing these things down. They're so beautiful and wonderful. Yes, suffering comes, but righteousness is so much more beautiful. Suffering is now, it's present, but the glory that's about to be revealed, which is the righteousness of God that we are in Christ Jesus any moment now far outweighs the sufferings that this righteousness brings to us. You have to understand these things. Your focus must always be Jesus and what he did at Calvary. So it's the con and let me say something more about Jesus and the end of chapter 2. It's hard to get away from the end of chapter 2 in 1 Peter because there's something very powerful there that many times we miss and most really have never thought of or seen in an experiential way. And that is 
that Jesus, though the Bible says there that he didn't threaten those who were threatening him and he didn't revile back, but he did respond. And here is something very powerful that you and I need to know. We must always, like our Savior, respond to our Father first. Then our response toward men will be what it should be. Doesn't that go so lovely? Likewise, you wives. You have to, wives, you have these husbands who are lost or just disobedient to the word of God, although they know better, whichever the case may be, you are, to, you are not to respond to them and their disobedience. You are to be found responding to the one who made righteous judgment for you on his son at Calvary. This is where we get into trouble, my friends. We, we respond, we retaliate to things that are ungodly, things that are not right, to being said about us, being done to us. We, re, we, we quickly respond or retaliate instead of first responding to our Heavenly Father. Jesus was responding on the cross to his Father's will that all things be done in righteousness and that this work of death be the, the stamp on God's work of righteousness. Isaiah 32 and 17 says that the work of righteousness shall be peace. Hallelujah. And he made our peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1.20. But let's go back to uh, Isaiah 32 and 17. It's so beautiful. The scriptures become so beautiful when you look through the blood of Jesus. That righteousness, the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of that righteousness will be quietness and assurance. Quietness and assurance. The work of Christ on the cross, your tangible, deliberate, conscious, I know what I'm doing, surrender my faith to the death of Jesus, gives me the very experience of that peace that surpasses all understanding and gives me the inner experience of quietness and assurance that I need not be moved by men as I'm responding to my heavenly Father's judgment of righteousness upon His Son that included me there because I was there by faith being crucified, put away forever, in Christ's death. Hallelujah. There's where he that knew no sin became my sin offering that I might be made in him, in that death, hallelujah, the righteousness of God. Likewise, you wives, let your response be to the instruction of your God through faith in the sacrifice of your Savior so that they may be won by your conduct. Because only as your conduct is that being led of the Holy Spirit who works exclusively within the perimeters of one's faith in the cross, in the death of Jesus, how do we know that? Because Romans 8 and 2 says, For the life, for the law, the law of the spirit of life in, in Christ Jesus, meaning in his death, has made me free from the law of sin and death. It is the new covenant law. The law has changed because the priesthood changed. Hebrews 7:12. The law changed. Because the priesthood changed. There's a new priesthood of believers that have an eternal great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a new law. That law is the law of the Holy Spirit. The law of the Spirit of truth. The law of the Spirit of grace. The law of the comforter. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. 
has made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. So remember this, ladies, wives to husbands who are not living for God. They must see your conduct in Christ Jesus. They must see that. They must see that behavior, that attitude, that they must see Christ in you. Though they might not know it's Christ, they might just call it that old religious stuff, that old church stuff. They might call it ugly names, but they see someone who's living, listen, the way they know they should be. Everybody knows they should be living better than they are. Even the people in the world. How do I know? Because even the most grotesque sinner doing whatever it is he's doing, he's not hoping people do that to him. He's hoping he runs across people in his life who are living better than him, who won't do those things to him. I know it's true. So watch. The, the, the wives' conduct must be that of what we read in the end of chapter 2. Because the word here is likewise. That means just like that. Because you've been freed from the sin nature. You can now live under righteousness. Because Jesus trusted the heavenly, his heavenly Father that was judging righteous judgment. And that judgment was for your sin to be placed upon him, to be forgiven and done away with. Him becoming the propitiation for our sins and the open door for God to declare his righteousness. Romans 3, 25 and 26, or 26 and 27 right there somewhere. And to offer that righteousness to you and to give that righteousness unto you and to show you the footprints of your righteous Savior to go before you. He only guides you in the path of righteousness. He only leads in the path of righteousness. That's Psalms 23 and 3 and Proverbs 8 and 20. Again, take notes. Go read these things. Let your eyes behold the wonderful beauty of God's words. He restores my soul. This was a person who, who wrote the Psalms was already a, 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 a child of God. So, being our souls being restored is, is a daily thing, not restored from a, 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 a way we were going to hell, but now restored back to the path of righteousness. How often do we look away from righteousness? I need to be restored to that path. And how does he do it? He says there, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And Proverbs 8 and 20 says that he leads in the paths of righteousness. He doesn't lead in any other way. Well, what does that mean? Well, he leads us by his word that becomes a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, which is a path of righteousness because all his words are in righteousness and when we're looking at all his words where they're understood which is in the context of the gospel which is Christ and him crucified then we see the path of righteousness becoming brighter and brighter and brighter hallelujah that's Proverbs 4 and 18 write these scriptures down go back and read them again for this is the avenue through which God can do great things in your life and he's not going to do the things that you want him to do the things you're praying for him to do the things you see that's obvious he needs to do unless he finds you on the path of righteousness and you're listen and him being allowed to lead you in the way you should go. Then, that old husband, that old rotten husband, <laughs> that old ungodly husband, there is an opportunity. 
that he just might see something that will prick his heart. Him not even opening the Bible. Him not even wanting to go to church. Him not even wanting to get in the Word of God. But he just might see something in you. Your prayers and your conduct and your faithfulness to trust in Christ and Him crucified. To walk in those footsteps. Faith deliberately, consciously. I'm aware of what I'm trusting in. My union with my Savior in His death. Power of God is on that. It's not in all these other flaked out things and manifestations. It's not in all this other stuff we call the power of God. It's in the cross. We ought to know this by now, folks, that what looked to be the last thing we'd call the power of God was the greatest power of God we've ever seen, we've ever heard about. It, it, it's, it was the biggest manifestation of God's love, mercy, and grace, and power and wisdom right there. If we stop looking at it, then we'll start calling that the power of God and that the power of God. And it's none of that is the power of God. What appears as though it's not the power of God is the power of God. What appears as though that just, I need more wisdom than what I'm getting from this message of the cross, then you ain't seeing it right yet, honey. And these that are letting go of it, and they claim they're not, but they are, and they prove they are by allowing men to come in and preach and teach in their pulpits that can in no way disciple God's people. For discipleship requires the denial of self and the taking up of the cross. And if I'm just assuming that everybody knows that, then I'm assuming so deadly wrong. Deadly wrong. We must never move away from the focus of Calvary. For when we do, the focus of God's Word is no longer there. Oh, you might be able to orate it. You might be able to get up and bring scriptures from every direction. I could do that before I understood the focus of God being the focus of His Son and what He did at Calvary, that being the focus of all the scriptures. I could do that before I knew the power is found only in the cross. Only in the cross. The wisdom of God is found only in the cross. You might say, well, no, it's the, the, the word of God is God's wisdom. But you're not going to experience that except in a vain and pretending way if your faith is not deliberately, consciously. You're aware of what you're doing, trusting in your union with Christ in his death, the place you're hidden the place that's your refuge, the place you learn, the place and only place self can be denied, the only place that I can learn to turn away from that which only has an appearance of godliness, but there is no power there. Watch now. Let's read this verse 1 and move on into verse 2 because we got to see this as one flowing picture here. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word, that they are without, be won, be gained by the conduct, the behavior, the, the style of your living of the wives. Watch. While they behold your chaste, conduct. And that word chaste, let's look it up together this morning. Let's take a minute. You, if you've got the means, do it right now. Just pretend you're in a classroom. This is one of the best Bible college settings you'll ever be a part of. It's when you're able to bring your materials to the study and, uh, and, 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 and follow along with your Bibles and your apps and other things and, and watch as we all see what the Holy Spirit's trying to show us. So watch this. This word, it mean, this word chaste, it means to properly clean. Innocent, modest, perfect. Innocent, modest, and perfect. To be clean, to be pure. So watch this now. While they behold your clean 
conduct, clean behavior, clean lifestyle, which they know they don't have, who can without the word of God? It's an impossibility. It's a, it's a way. It, it, listen, without the word of God, there is nothing but a wasteland. Nothing but futile. It, 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 cleanness, it, it, purity cannot exist. Even though they might think they're doing good sometimes. Without the word of God, faith cannot come and God cannot be pleased. See how simple this is. Without the word of God, faith cannot come. And if faith is not coming, God cannot be pleased. You see how simple this is. So they are seeing something that's different from them. They may hate it. They may divorce it. But there's always through the prayer of that wife and this conduct that's clean and pure in the presence and the response to God by faith in the sacrifice of his son, there's always that possibility that ha- that husband, while beholding that, could be changed. Let's read verse 2 because I didn't finish it now. It's a very important last part of this verse. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. See, that word fear. It's the proper estimated value of the worth of your God according to the scriptures. I got to say that again. The fear of the Lord, you need to write this down. You'll see it's true. And you'll see also that the fear of the Lord does not exist outside of the revelation of the cross in your heart. I could teach that. I've taught on that on multiple occasions, but you'll let me let me tell you how to know this. Go back and and I know there are many students of the word listening, so go back and do a, a word study on just the fear of the Lord. And you will see every time the phrase in the Bible, the fear of the Lord, is written that it's pertaining to the benefits that only those who are experiencing Christ and what he did at Calvary by faith get to experience. The fear. Let's, let's just take a moment and go back and try to find one. Okay, and, and they're all pretty much like this. Proverbs 14, I believe, verse 26, because we're talking about fear. The fear of the Lord. See, this chaste conduct must be coupled, that means tied to the fear of the Lord. This means it's not just you trying to act a certain way. It means that you're not just doing this in your own strength, in your own ability. Well, I got to do this. No, no, no. That means that this chaste, this pure, clean conversation, conduct, behavior, lifestyle is because your heart is coupled with the fear of the Lord. So, and, and I've given you what you could do to further your study and to see this, that the fear of the Lord is experienced only, only by those who have their faith in the sacrifice. Because only there can we see the great, the place that we revere God. You look the word fear up, and the first thing you're going to see is the word reverence. A, 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 a reverential fear. And years ago, the Lord showed me the word in reverential fear is the word revere. To revere something means you're estimating it. You're give, you are giving it a value, and that's what causes you to go in the direction you go. The estimated value of worth that you place on something. So when your fear of the Lord is proper, and it can't be unless you're looking to Calvary, other than that, it's just feelings and emotions. But when you look to Calvary, the truth that saved your soul, then your heart can fear the Lord properly, it can, the, the proper value of his worth, the estimation of his value, you can come to the conclusion of more and more daily, properly, and you can walk in the fear of the Lord. But watch Proverbs chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, to bear witness with this that I'm sharing with you. Proverbs 14 and 26. In the fear of the Lord. See, it's a place. 
It's a place. It's not something I declare. It's a place. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. When did we receive? When did we step into our strong confidence? When we accepted Christ and what he did at Calvary. Watch. And his children shall have a place of refuge. And there's that. Those of you who are new uh, following our ministries, you may not have heard me teach this or say this, but when there's a colon in the middle of a Bible verse, what's on the second half of that colon, get ready for an, a brighter light to be turned on, if you will, of what was on the prior side of that colon. Let's read it again. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, colon. And his children shall have a place of refuge. That place of refuge is in the fear of the Lord. That confidence, not just a confidence, but a strong confidence. When you were born again, fear of going to hell went out the window. Fear of being lost went out the window. Fear, fear left because that perfect love you accepted by receiving Christ through faith in his work on the cross that he died for you in your place, fear went, you no longer feared going to hell. Now you have a place of refuge, which is Christ and what he did at Calvary. This, this in the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. Watch verse 27 because here comes the icing on the cake, as we like to say. The fear of the Lord, remember, it's in, it's a place. It's faith in the cross of Christ. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That fountain is blood. That life is Christ laid down for you on Calvary's tree. Jesus is our life, and that fountain only flows from Calvary's tree. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah to the Lamb. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And in the fear of the Lord, we find our refuge and our strong confidence in our deliberate and conscious faith that comes through hearing the Word of God and directs us to Calvary's Christ. There our faith stands so that what we're reading here, even for the wives, can be found in experience by the power of the Holy Spirit being allowed to work within the legal means of the wife's faith in what Christ did on Calvary's tree. Watch now. The fear of the Lord is a fountain, a fountain of life. It's not a dribble. It's not a drop. It's a fountain. The fear of the Lord is a fountain. Hallelujah. A fountain filled with blood that will fill your heart uh, as many times as you reach for that great saving grace that flows only from Calvary's tree. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. To depart from the snares of death. Where did you depart from the trap that you were in, the death trap? Where did you depart from the snares of death when you believed in Christ and Him crucified? His suffering, His death for you. You found a strong confidence. It's His. You found a place of refuge. It's in Him. You found a fountain of life. It's the fountain that flows from His shed blood. You found a departure from the grip of death. It's because you've been immersed into His death to be delivered from the death you were bound in. There's only two deaths. Folk are either dead to sin or dead in sin. I like much more being dead to sin than dead in sin. Glory be to God. So do you see that? The point is, our little rabbit trail here is, for the wives to live godly before their husbands. But look at what it says now. Let's go back. Verse 2. 
while your husband, honey, is looking at your chaste conversation, it's got to be coupled with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, again, you've heard what we said. You've heard what that really means. The fear of the Lord. The, your, your, your value being upon God's direction greater than how you feel or what you think. And it can't ever be, well, if he will, then I will. Or if they will, I Well, she's not doing it. and she. No, no. It's you and your Lord and his direction for you. Not if they or if he or maybe if I. No, no. It's, that's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is that there's a greater value on God's word, his instruction for my life that I know as long as I'm looking through, consciously, deliberately holding dear, surrendered to the truth of my death with Christ on Calvary's tree, that's the fear of the Lord. That's the proper estimated value of God's worth. Only through the cross can I place the proper value of God, the worth of God's words to me. It's whatever I'm doing to the cross of Christ. That's what the Word of God is being seen. That, that, let's try to say this right this morning. Whatever I'm doing with the cross, whatever value I'm, I, I'm placing on my union with Christ in His death and what He did there to pardon me and to crucify me and to bury me and to raise me up a new creation in Him, whatever degree I'm placing really on my death with Him, my union with Him, reckon yourselves to be, not to have been, to be dead indeed unto sin. Whatever value I'm placing on that, and our value should be more today of that sacrifice than it was yesterday. But how will it be? How could it be if we're not hearing it, if we're not focused on it, if we're not seeing more of the words in that righteous context? Amen. I'm teaching better than your amen in hallelujah. Come on now. So watch. And, and, and the reason this is good for even us men and husbands to hear because whatever we're trying to get out of God's word as far as affecting our lives, it's got to be coupled with fear. That means fear has to be attached to it. This fear of the Lord's got to be attached to it. And that points us back to Calvary where the fear of the Lord began to work in our lives. Watch now. And now this is, we didn't get very far, but... We got far enough. Verse 3, talking about the wives now. Whose adorning decorations of their bodies, let it not be that of an outward adorning, like of plating your hair and of wearing gold or of putting on of apparel. Now again, this is about a wife trying to get her husband obedient to the word of God. It can't happen by her looking all pretty. Now, what that can do for you is mess you up because you get all prettied up with plaited hair and gold and perfumes and you're making it all about you. Well, what's going to happen there and what does happen 9.9 .9 times out of 10, that disobedient husband, he's going to put on a little old show for you. He might even put a Bible there by the recliner. He might even want you to see him in it. Uh-huh, because he likes what he's seeing now. But it ain't what he's supposed to be seeing. And how many women have been seduced and abused by awful husbands because they tried to win them to the Lord spiritually by their decorations. These scriptures are by no means a law for all women to go by. This is specifically for wives trying to win their husbands back or win their husbands initially or back to either one, the Lord. And how many men take advantage 
of women who are trying to decorate themselves to win them to the Lord. Oh, my Lord, that, that church is full of it. Church is full of it. Th these things, th the Bible doesn't say here that women shouldn't plait their hair. This is talking about wives trying to win their husbands. See how legalistic? We're so easily, man, we can so easily become legalistic and make entire denominations out of stuff that are simply for wives trying to win their husbands to the Lord. My goodness. Do you see? We're just bound. Some, we're, we're more bound in legalism than we really like to admit. Come on now. Who, let's read it again. Who's adorning decoration of themselves. Uh, let it not be the outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold and putting on of apparel. But let it be, we'll have to quit here and come back next Friday if the Lord tarries. I believe he's coming today, hallelujah. Verse 4, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. See, that's something, that's something he's only going to see in actions and conduct and behavior. Let what he sees be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible... Plating of your hair is corruptible. Wearing gold is corruptible. What you're wearing on your body is corruptible. And sometimes will corrupt even a relationship. Watch. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. Uh, that's the new man. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, this is a valuable word of God. Great price. What does God call a great price? That hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. That new man. That's what that husband needs to see, honey. That's what that husband needs to see. He don't need to see just how pretty and well you can decorate yourself up. That, that might do something for another area of your life, but it ain't going to win him spiritually. It can't because it's all corruptible, things that are corruptible. The only thing not corruptible is that hidden inner man who can only be seen as our lives are chaste and pure, coupled with fear, meaning we're consciously and deliberately, I know what I'm doing. I'm surrendering to the cross of Christ. That I may find myself dead to sin, walking in my Savior's footsteps of righteousness, and that thing, that one, that is most precious to my God can first of all be seen by Him and then maybe might be seen by my husband. Think about that, wives. Think about that, ladies. Think about that. Many women in the church today need to see their husbands come to the Lord. Here you need to know it's not about what you do initially. It's about what Jesus did and what you're doing with that. And then the Holy Spirit will empower you to find yourself right in the middle of this move of God with the possibility of your husband coming to Christ. Praise be to God. It's been a great broadcast today. I praise God for what he's doing. It's the greatest move of God that's ever taken place since the cross right now where the church is learning, learning the great power of the cross, the righteousness of God's words. Here at the end of the church age, we're learning not only how to be saved, not only how the sin nature, how to keep the sin nature from dominating our lives, not only the only avenue through which the Holy Spirit works, being our faith in the death of Jesus, but also that every word to be seen in its righteous context must be seen through
the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For there alone is God's words of righteousness revealed. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't forget tomorrow night at 6 p.m., Andrew and I will be broadcasting live right here at 6 p.m. Central on the Scarlet Thread. My pleasure to be with Andrew this weekend doing that, and he'll be preaching Sunday morning at 10 a.m. here at Crossway Church. I love you. I pray right now for everything that you have a need of, that you would look to the righteousness of God, which is the cross of, the cross of Christ, that you would be found reaching for that righteousness more than ever, and your God will add everything to your life you need. He'll fill your heart with the fruit of righteousness, and because you love His righteousness, He'll fill your heart with the oil of joy. Praise God. I'll see you tomorrow night. Until then, stay determined to know absolutely nothing but Christ and Him crucified. We'll see you then.